There's a few things some people know about me. One, <laughs> thank you, Josh. There's uh, one of them might be, if you know me well enough, that I have zero green thumb. And I think Raquel also, uh, we struggle to keep plants alive. And I remember the first, the first sign that this was going to be a problem for me came uh, in like first grade, I think it was. Have you ever done that project where they give you like the little, like, I think it's a lima bean or something, and you put it in the cup, right? And it's a project you're supposed to see it grow and it sprout and germinate and all of that crazy stuff, right? Well, I struggled with trusting the process, right? So I put the seed in there and I put water and I sat back and like, a little bit of time went, a few hours went, and I said, I must have done it wrong. Let me dig it out. So I like, took the dirt out, put the, you know, put the bean out there, and I checked to see if anything had changed. And I said, no, nothing changed. I, okay, I did the whole thing wrong. Well, let me put more water then. So then I put the thing back in there, put the dirt, and then there's so much water that it's like you could, there's water on top, right? Um, people who like plants, that's not going to help, right? So uh, my thing wasn't growing. So I said, okay, let me... Take out, all the, take out all the water, put in dry dirt, because I had to dry it out, right? That makes sense uh, for a first grader. And so then I dry dirt, put my bean back in there, and I let it, and I just watched nothing. I kept messing with the process where with anyone who knows about plants, you just got to let it do its thing, right? It's alive. Let it do it. Let it, let it, let it live. If I would have left it alone... Maybe I wouldn't have been the only kid without a plant that day uh, or that week, but uh, I couldn't leave it alone. I needed to have faith, right, that my seed was, in fact, growing according to its plan and its timing, but I just couldn't seem to leave it alone, right? Uh, Like I mentioned, we've been in the book of Ruth. Now we're in chapter 3. If you've never heard of Ruth, if you haven't been here, I'll give you super fast context. Ruth uh, is a woman who was married to, uh, well, there was this big family. So there's a guy named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, and there was a famine, so they moved, right, so that they could survive. And their sons married women. Ruth was one of them that the sons married, but then all the men died, right? The both sons and the father passed away, and in that time, in that place, uh, women did not have rights the way that they have now. And so they found themselves worried and not knowing what to do. And so Ruth and Naomi, they come back to where they, uh, well, Ruth had never been there, but Naomi goes back to her homeland. But that doesn't change the fact that they're basically on their own. And we saw that God, in His sovereignty was moving pieces around kind of like chess and was putting things into place according to his timing, even in the midst of tragedy, right? So we find ourselves now uh, in chapter 3. So go ahead, open with me, open your Bible to Ruth chapter 3, and let's read some verses here. Oh, there goes my watch. Let me shut that off. <laughs> uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, talking to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, 
and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So the chapter before, Ruth, uh, there was a, a, a custom that people who were just, say, down on their luck, couldn't provide for themselves, were able to follow around uh, the workers of the people who owned land and, 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 and crops, right? And so they would pick up whatever was left around, and that, with that grain or whatever they had, they could go home and make food and live. That's kind of the welfare system of the time. Ruth happened, that's how the Bible says it, she happened to go to a field of a man named Boaz, who also happens to be the kinsman redeemer of the family. So let's talk a little bit about what a kinsman redeemer is. In this time period, the kinsman redeemer was responsible for the whole family, but his responsibilities were to buy back a family member who had been sent into slavery. And now slavery then is not the same exact slavery that in the United States context, like when we think about slavery, we think about a super terrible, oppressive like slavery. Slavery back then was like, hey, you owe me $1,000, and uh, what you're going to do now is just, I'm going to pay you, right? You're going to work for me, and I'm going to pay you, but really what I'm doing is using you, like, if I give you $100, you just turn right back around and give it to me until your debts are paid off, right? So the kinsman redeemer would say, okay, well, my cousin owes $1,000 He's sold into slavery. I'm going to give you that $1,000 so that he can come back home and we'll have a little chat, right, with, with the cousin. Well, here's what else the kinsman redeemer would do. He would be the avenger of blood, right? And what that means is he would make sure that a family member's murderer answered for their crimes. That could mean a few different things. Remember, this is the time of the judges, right? And so the time of the judges, people did whatever they wanted to do, but... Uh, you know, there was that, 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 that thing, an eye for an eye, right? A tooth for a tooth, right? And so, kinsman redeemer found out somebody murdered my brother. The kinsman redeemer pulls out the sword and says, where's the guy, right? There's a lot of responsibility that goes with being the kinsman redeemer, but it's, it's not done. Here's what else they would do. They would buy back the family's land, right? Land still today, has a lot to do with wealth, right, and uh, status. And so if the family, for whatever reason, lost land, they were entitled, through the law, they were entitled to it back, right? You didn't just own it outright. If it belonged to somebody else first, they could buy it back. And that was the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. And then finally, we find ourselves in why the kinsman redeemer is important in this story, because the kinsman redeemer would also, his responsibilities included carrying on the family's name by marrying a childless widow of a family member and giving her children, or giving her children in the name of the deceased family member. Okay? So remember, Ruth was married to Elimelech's son. Boaz is related to Elimelech. 
And because of the responsibilities of the, of the, of the kinsman redeemer, Ruth had a right, uh, and Boaz also had a right to marry her, give her children so that she could then be taken care of and provided for, right? And so when Ruth comes home and tells the story to Naomi, where were you? And, and Ruth says, well, I ended up at this dude Boaz. Uh, I went to his field and he was feeding me and gave me all this food. Naomi says, wait a second, God is putting something together here. And it continues on because Naomi says, all right, here's the thing. And when she says, let me see how uh, my version says it again. Uh, it says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Right? Uh, versions will say different things, but what she's saying is essentially, should I not find you a husband? Right? Should I not find you a husband that you can be taken care of? Right? Because Naomi is old. She's not going to be around forever. And either way, she is a widow. She can't really provide. So the only way out in this time is for Ruth to get married. Naomi's not getting married. She can't have kids. Right? So Naomi says, hey, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, and you did happen to uh, go to his field. And so she comes up, so a lot of like commentaries and things begin to call Naomi the matchmaker, right? Any matchmakers in the family, you're sitting next to your husband or your wife right now because your aunt puts you together, right? Like this is what's happening, right? Uh, Naomi's, the wheels are turning, but it's in response to the divine leading of God, of God's providence over this whole situation, his sovereignty in this whole situation. As he's put pieces together, Naomi's saying, hey, I'm just leaning into what God started. Don't look at me. That happened in, uh, <laughs> in Raquel and I's context. Her grandmother was kind of like that. Not that she was uh, setting us up, but she had this thing where she would pray all the time and she'd tell Raquel, Raquel, you're going to marry a pastor. And Raquel would laugh at her. Right, and then and then here I here I show up at the door one day, and the grandma's like, "What are you studying?" I was like, oh, "I'm studying theology," and the grandma's like, "That's the one, that's him." I told you, it's not me, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. He's answering my prayers. That's what Naomi's doing, right? And so, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> the kinsman redeemer. At the end of the day, if you wanted to just sum it up, what does a kinsman redeemer do? The kinsman redeemer stands in the way of life's downs, right, and says, this ends here with me, right? That is the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. Life's problems end here with me. It is my responsibility to fix that problem. The kinsman redeemer removes shame from the family, removes condemnation from the family, and ultimately has the responsibility to restore life back into a family, and so it says, Naomi says, hey, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is going to be at the threshing floor. And so if you don't know what that is, because we don't really have that, you don't have one in your backyard or in the community, it was this kind of like a raised area of land that was either made of rock or like flattened earth. And what they would do, because remember, the harvest had been happening for a long time. And so what they would do, they would get all of the barley and the wheat and, and whatever, and they would smack it right? They'd smack it, they'd, they'd hit it and, and roll it around, and the chaff would fall off, that outer coating. And then what they'd do, they'd take like shovels or whatever, and they'd throw it up in the air. And then the chaff, because it's an elevated place, uh, the wind would come and blow it away. And then just the good stuff would stay. And so then they'd pile it up, and because it's the day of the judges, 
right? It's the time of the judges. What would happen is, let's say that, you know, you live over here, right? And you're in the middle of a famine because that's just stuff that happens, right? But you look over there and you say, hey, I see that Boaz has a lot of stuff, a lot of great food. He's going to be able to live. Because at the end of the day, why this was such a, a great time of year, because you'll also see later like, that he's going to be eating and drinking and having a good time because he's celebrating. He's celebrating essentially that we get to live another year, right? There's no Publix, there's no Walmart, no Aldi's, there's the threshing floor, right? So I get to live another year. So then the, you over here who doesn't have looks over at Boaz, and it's the time of the judges. People do what they want. They would raid, right? They would raid the threshing floor, and they'd come and take all your food, right? And so that excitement that you had, that joy that you had is gone because now you have no food, and other people are going to eat after all the hard work you did. So Boaz sleeps there. He literally sleeps there. There are other people around to protect the crops so that they can live, right? And so, uh, Naomi tells her, put on your best clothes. Uh, put on your, I think my version said it here, uh, put on your robe. Yeah, put on your cloak. But your version might say, put on your best clothes, right? There's some context there. Remember, Ruth lost her husband in this time, in this place. Uh, when you go to a funeral, what's the custom? You wear black, right? Different cultures have different things, but here the, the stereotypical thing is you wear black to let people know that you're in mourning. Well, back then, there were clothes that you would wear. You'd wear like your worst clothes. You'd look bad on purpose so that when people looked at you, they said, oh my goodness, this poor woman, right? Must have lost her husband. It's, it's hard on her. And so the assumption here is that Naomi's saying, listen, I know that you're sad, and I know that you're hurting, and we talked two weeks ago, and we said that those are valid feelings, right? Because that's terrible. There's nobody here who would say, my husband died, my wife died, praise God, right? There's no one here. They praise you through the storm, but nobody's like, thank goodness, my husband's, you know, my wife is gone, and, eh, well, <laughs> Well, y'all, I don't know. <laughs> the point is, she's wearing clothing that is synonymous with mourning. Naomi's saying, listen, you got to get up, look around us. God is moving around us. Take off the clothes of mourning. Take a bath. Put on your good clothes. Let Boaz, know that you are ready to be married. It's his responsibility. Let him know. And so, what does she say? I will do everything that you told me to do. Verse 6. Follow along with me. Verse 6. So, she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. 
Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after uh, young men, whether poor or rich. Okay. Boaz is old. All right. <laughs> we didn't maybe talk about that the last two weeks. Uh, but Boaz is older, right? He was related to Elimelech, who is more the age of Naomi, right? And so when he's like, wow. So, okay. Context again, my favorite word. If you're visiting, everybody else is like, ugh, we know your favorite word, but context is my favorite word. Mind you, the clothes she was so... I want to say all sorts of things, right? The, <laughs> the, so the question that I asked, maybe you've asked, is like, listen, from the very beginning, Boaz is interested in Ruth, right? He takes an interest in who she is and where she's from and that she's related to Naomi and he knows the story. Why didn't he make the first move? Her clothes. It says that Boaz is a virtuous man. He is a good man, which is not what you can say of everybody in this time period. The, remember the Hebrew describes him as a mighty man of valor, which has more to do with like your personality than like your fighting abilities, right? He's not going to overstep because she's obviously in mourning. But he wakes up in the middle of the night and sees, he doesn't even recognize her. It's dark out. She says, well, I'm Ruth. And he knows who Ruth is. And he sees she's no longer wearing the clothing of mourning. And she says, you are the Redeemer. That takes a lot of courage. I don't, I mean, to this day, to this day, there's a discussion. And I don't, I'm not going to get into it. But People, like, let me, how do I want to word this? If the, if the woman proposes to the man, some of you just had a reaction to that, right? Whether you're for it or against it, it doesn't matter, but you had a reaction. Some of you were saying, like, absolutely not. That's not how it happens. Some of you were like, listen, it's 2023, things happen, right? But it's, it's uncommon now incredibly uncommon back then for her to show up and say, hey, do your job and marry me. Like, whoa, who are you talking to, right? And I'm twice your age. Like, who, who do you think you are? But she had courage and faith. This isn't even her people. She is a Moabite woman. She is out of her element, but she's following the counsel of her mother-in-law and the little bit that she currently knows about this new God that she serves, the capital G God, right, that she serves. And he says, well, he's putting some things together, and they say, this is what I should do. This is what I'm going to do. And she goes in with boldness and says, 
marry me. Boaz did not make the first move because he would not force himself upon a woman who was mourning. God, similarly, right? Boaz is what we call a type of Christ, not Christ, obviously, but a type of Christ, meaning that there are characteristics, there are similarities there that we see, right? Redeemer being one of them, uh, being a mighty man of valor, being another. Um, God, Jesus, will not force himself upon you. That's one of the core foundations of who God is, right? God is love, and love has a choice, right? And so, my question for us today, we might be wondering, like, hey, man, where's my blessing? Where's my Ruth story? Where's my redemption? What clothing are you wearing when you approach God? Right? You show up to the field, and you came, and you say, hey, I'm here. Do the thing. But you're wearing clothing, Right? In this context, I'm not saying everybody's in mourning, but you're coming with either an attitude or with a presence or a, a, or, or a heart that says one thing but means another thing. I want my blessing, I want my cake, and I want to eat it too, right? Uh, Ruth is way out of her element, like we said. She is li- literally going in on faith, faith alone. She has changed from her clothing of mourning and put on a clothing that says, I am here to receive your promise. You have a responsibility. You made a promise to the family, Boaz. Here I am. Now I am ready to receive it. What clothing are you wearing when you approach God? It has a lot to do, right, <laughs> with how or what kind of a response you get back because the Lord will not force himself. He will not force his blessings. He will not force his goodness on you if we are not willing to actually receive them. And that might take you places like Ruth, places you didn't know you would go. You will meet people you didn't know you would meet You will lose jobs. You will lose relationships that you didn't mean to lose, but you're following God along the way with your attitude, with your demeanor, with everything about you. You are saying, I'm going forward on faith only. I don't know where I'm going, but I know that you're going to make a way. And we are ready. I'm ready to receive what you have for me, Lord, and I mean it, whatever that means. says, uh, Ruth says to Boaz, my version, the ESV says, spread your wing over me. Yours might say, spread like the corner of like your blanket over me. It all means the same thing. But the imagery here goes back to chapter 2, where Boaz says, hey, I pray that God spreads his wing of protection over you. I pray that God protects you. There's something in this story for everyone. Maybe you're not Naomi. Maybe you're not Ruth. Maybe you're the Boaz in this story. Maybe you are. 
That's a good place to be. It's not a bad place. But it means that you have a responsibility. It means that you have a job to do. God is the one ultimately spreading his wing over Ruth, protecting Ruth. But how does God interact with this world? He uses us. He, and that's amazing, right? That's a whole sermon in itself. That's an amazing thing to think, that God uses us. But he uses us to fulfill his work here on earth. And he empowers us to do it. Turn with me quickly, if you don't believe me, to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Verse, see where I want to start, Uh, 34, Matthew 25, verse 34. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in a prison, and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. If you are the Boaz in this story and you come across somebody in need, recognize the responsibility that you have. We can totally pray, man, I hope that God does something for you. And they're saying, hey, I mean, I just need a room for the night. And you're like, man, I would love to help. But you know, I keep stuff in those rooms that I have. You know, I mean, what? We have a responsibility. Like, man, like, I'm starving right now. Somebody comes to you, oh, help me. I need some food. And you're like, man, like, I'm about to go to Chick-fil-A, but I just have that one gift card. Like, you know, man, I'll pray for you. When we have, when we have the ability to help. Boaz had the ability to help. He had been given the responsibility to help. And I'll tell you what, if you sit here and claim you are a Christian, you have the responsibility to help those who are in need. So whether you identify more with Ruth or Naomi or Boaz, we all have a part to play. The other uh, last thing I want to talk about here Actually, let me move on. Verse 11. Verse 11, uh, Boaz says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will, do, I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning... If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, 
Then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before anyone could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And she went into the city. When she came to the mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. God will not force himself on you, neither did Boaz. But notice throughout the story, he always gave her more food, more protection. And even in this, when the prayer, you've stepped out in faith and you've asked boldly of God, he is still taking care of you along the way. Some of, man, some people that I talk to, some people that I meet, some, I mean, even myself to, to a degree, I look at my life and I call it like before Christ and after Christ, and I look at my life and I say, how am I here? I've literally had conversations with people. They say, I don't know how I'm alive. God was with me because I was doing some stupid stuff before I met Jesus, and here I am. And they look back on their life and say, man, God was putting the pieces together even though I was actively against him. He was still there. He never forced himself upon me, but he took care of me along the way. And Ruth was being taken care of the whole time. Even as she stepped out on faith, not knowing she might end up having to marry some other dude. That's not what she wanted, but she said, well, I guess I'm out here on faith. Boaz still, still gave her food. Because that's what, this is what, that's what it's all about. Survival. Am I going to live to see another day? There's uncertainty in the air, but he gave her assurance that, listen, I'm going to take care of you still. And it's the same. As we step out on faith, know that it is scary, that it is shaky ground, but that you are being taken care of. You are being taken care of. God has not left you when you step out. I don't know, like people, you text your, your uh, crush or something, and they leave you on red, and you're like, well, I put myself out there, and now I'm scared, and I'm all by myself. No response, but God is taking care of his people. He is providing for them even in the midst of them stepping out. We need to do nothing. Boaz says, here, take this food. I'm going to go to work and figure this thing out. Just Go back home, rest, do your thing. I'll come back and I'll find you later. It's the same with us. When we pour out our prayers, when we, when we lay it there at the feet of Jesus and we, and we say, hey, this is my deepest desire. This is, where I, this is what I need. And you lay it out there on faith. You took off whatever other like clothing of mourning or, or resentment or whatever you had before and you lay it there at the feet of Jesus. You have to do nothing else after that. The response back is, I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to get back to you real soon. 
Christ became our kinsman redeemer. What do I mean by that? The almighty, powerful God became man, became flesh like you and me. Like the kinsman, uh, kinsman redeemer, he stood in the way and said, this ends with me. No more condemnation, no more shame, and the ability to give life and life eternal. That is the point of Ruth. He stood in the way as our kinsman redeemer, and when he left, he told the disciples, and they wrote it down for us to see, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. He stood in the way. He secured life for you, for me. And we have to do nothing more. He takes care of the rest. He takes care of the rest. In the meantime, approach the feet of Jesus. My, I hope that you pray to him, Jesus, you are my redeemer. Please cover me with your wings and make me a part of your family. And he will. You are a son and a daughter of Christ. Your name is written there. You have a place at the table. And there's nothing you could do to get there. It's all what he does for us. He stands in the way. He says it ends here with me. And by faith, our lives change. Because of love, our lives our lives change. We are different people when we come into contact with our Christ or with our kinsman redeemer. Ruth, you'll see, is not the same person in chapter 4. She, she's a totally different person because of the love of God that took her under his wing and use someone like Boaz to be a part of his plan. Have faith in the in-between. When you step out on faith and you're kind of out there for a little bit, know that he's still taking care of you, and know that he will never give up on you until it's over. Like Naomi said, he will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Christ has not rested He came, he died for you, he left to prepare a place for you, and I know it's been a long time, and maybe people are looking around saying, ah, maybe he forgot about us. He has not rested. He is building the place so that where he is, we may be also, and he is coming again soon. No more death, no more tears, no more anger, no more sorrow. It will be over. He's not resting. He's not just hanging out. He cares about you, and he's coming soon. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are and the sacrifices that you've made for us. 
God, I pray it with humility but boldness, Lord, as I come to your feet. God, I present this church to you. God, I pray that you move in a mighty way here. Lord, that lives would be changed because of love. God, that marriages would be restored through love, that family relationships, family dynamics would be restored. God, we thank you for redeeming us. You are our redeemer. And so, Lord, with, like I said, humility and boldness, God, we come to you and we request that promise. God, any clothing of mourning or resentment or fear or jealousy, Lord, we we take that off and we put on clothing that is acceptable to you to say, God, we are ready. God, I pray this church be ready. And I pray that when you move, we're ready to go. I pray in your name. Amen.